0: Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder and partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Uh, hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today with a very special guest, Turner Novak. Turner is a partner at, at Gelt. Uh, Turner, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So before we were talking about this podcast, uh, we were talking about SoftBank and we were talking about why you think maybe in some ways it's more interesting uh, or more of a fit for mega LPs than people give it credit for. Why don't you unpack, a, unpack that argument a little bit?
1: Yeah, so when I think about I'm a mega LP, I've got hundreds of billions of dollars, a trillion dollar portfolio, I can't go out, like if I want to get exposure to yeah. venture or anything in the private markets, I can't go and just write a check for ten billion dollars like that's just just it's not possible right now Uh, and I'm not saying this so we don't know if it's actually gonna work it's still TBD Uh, but if I let's say I have a hundred billion dollar portfolio I can't go and write a thousand checks to these small venture managers for a million dollars each five million dollars five million dollars each like I just can't do that I don't have the capacity my team is constrained it's just like any other business yeah So you got to think of okay, how do I how do I deploy my portfolios in LP? So thinking like an institutional LP, you have some equities, some stocks. You have some fixed income bonds. You've got some real estate, some venture capital. You've got some private equity. You've got you you. In most cases, they give that man they give that money. They split it up and give it to other managers. Like that's where VCs get their money from is these massive funds, and. If I don't have the time to, I mean, I have to be strategic just about how if you're, if you're a VC, you can only invest in like 20 companies, 40 yeah. companies, whatever. You can't go invest in every single right. startup. So if I'm a mega LP, I have to kind of pick and choose how I deploy my capital efficiently. I don't have time to go through tons of docs, yeah. legal things for every single manager. I don't have time to go all, all their LP meetings, listen to all their conference calls. Like it's just not possible. So if somebody can come to me and say, I don't even know what SoftBank's saying their returns are right now on the vision fund, but it was something like 29% that's probably yeah. wrong, but it was an insane number. They can say I'll give you 29% on 40 billion dollars like
0: that's very pretty efficient. insane. Yeah, yeah like I'm
1: like okay, I'm interested uh, and obviously they need to prove out that right. you can actually do that and get those returns at TBD right now yeah uh, and I think there's ways to do it. I mean they've made some some of their bets some of the smaller less high profile investments i mean i think they've done pretty well uh so yeah i mean it's just it's really fascinating because you probably if you think of they they really just need to kind of pick off the big companies before they ipo and instead of a company going public like say twilio go public 10x SoftBank just needs to capture that before they go public and there's different styles to do that you know they're investing in different sectors uh you need to have founders and companies and other investors know that you're capable of doing this everyone knows softbank's capable of writing billion dollar checks now like literally everyone knows they exist right uh so great marketing for them uh so it's i mean i don't think it's that crazy to think like this type of vehicle could Could exist yeah obviously there's a lot of nuances to how they've chosen to run things and operate things um you could say they could you know, fix some things operationally there, but I think the idea of just somebody who is this massive pool of private capital isn't as crazy as people make right. it sound.
0: And you come from the LP world. Now you were yep. doing fantasy and VC on the side, and we've uh, we actually did Dark Store together in, in your fantasy <laughs> VC portfolio. <laughs> yeah. Um And you, you're now a full-time VC, but you come from the LP world, so you understand it. And I've I've wondered if the same. Misalignments that face VCs and founders are also between VCs and LPs, which is one. Similarly, VCs don't have time to scour the universe, so they get scouts uh, yep. to do. And then also, uh, VCs need founders to go big because they're playing a portfolio theory. Yep. Um, and LPs, you know, aren't interested in lifestyle VCs. They're interested <laughs> in VCs going going big or go home.
1: Yeah, they want to be able to. A lot of times when. Uh, Let's say an LP takes a bet on a smaller manager. They invest five million dollars or ten yeah. million dollars on your hundred million dollar fund. They expect that relationship to last. Most LPs, especially institutional LPs, they expect their relationship to last for many funds. I mean, yeah. like I said, it's it's you have to be efficient. You can't be wasting time just always writing. It's not like a not like a venture portfolio where you just keep making all these little bets. Like you and you have to be right too. Yeah. In a lot of these institutional LPs, let's say it's an endowment, it's a foundation for a nonprofit, your pension plan, you pay out I don't know five percent of your portfolio every year, so you have to structure and invest your portfolio low. In some cases, low risk parts of it, where you can guarantee if there's a downturn, you'll have money to like fund the hospital or continue right. like letting students go to your school. But at the same time, you have to find pockets where okay, I can get twenty percent here on this slice of capital and yeah. kind of blend it all where. Our portfolio grows a little bit every year, said and done, with all the inflation uh, payouts and then our returns. Yeah. So it's an it's a really interesting like puzzle that you're trying right. to put together as an institutional LP. And
0: it's interesting because I mean, the, basically, the misalignment between founders and VCs is really between like it stems from the VC LP. Like it, it all the source the money starts, I guess, with the LPs. Yeah. I, I wonder if, if I wonder how the LP ecosystem is going to change in the next few years. I'm curious for perspective. Like, could you imagine a world in which founders go directly to LPs and LPs hire GPS on staff? Like, is there anything that could change the next five, 10 years in the LP ecosystem and the structure of it that would materially change the relationship between founders and VCs and how founders raise capital? Or do you think it's unlikely given how, you know, set in their ways LPs are?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we're kind of seeing it a little bit, especially later stages. So some of it comes down to the time thing. If I'm an LP, maybe I have people on my team that do direct investing. You have to, you kind of have to establish a brand of some kind as a venture firm or as a partner that kind of brings entrepreneurs to you or helps you find the right things to invest in. They'd have to really restructure their DNA of like we're a pension plan, but we're investing in high tech risky startups. Yeah. At the same time, I mean, I think is a is an LP you. Let's say an LP invested in Theranos or WeWork or something directly that blew up. Right. Let's say you're the teacher's retirement plan of Louisiana, you know, you have a $50 billion portfolio. All your teachers see this in the news, like our retirement funds invested in this like fraud of a company. Right. So you the
0: middleman is in some ways like optics prevention. Like yeah, a little bit. You get upside of knows if it works yeah. and you don't, you don't get the brand downside if it, if it totally, you know.
1: Yeah. And creates. there, there are some, uh, I think the, like some of the big Canadian pension plans are getting into buying infrastructure directly. Like they'll buy an airport or yeah. they'll buy like a toll road you can deploy $5 billion and buy an airport instead of committing it to, fund, to, committing yeah. to a fund. And that's kind of a play on like they need to find things that they can efficiently deploy mass amounts yeah. of capital. That's kind of why hedge funds exist. It's why you see people who are expert stock pickers, you know, index funds have kind of started replacing it. But like a lot of endowments for their public equity exposure, they'll just, have like ten billion dollars in an S and P index fund, yeah, and it's, it's like it's kind of normal. Not all of them do it yet, but you find ways to efficiently allocate your time. So you have a bunch in an index fund in public equities, which allows you to spend more time and resources finding these special upcoming yeah. managers that will be efficient to create a four, 40 year four fund life cycle, whatever relationship with that will return a lot of capital yeah. to to your your. Uh, portfolio
0: do you have any predictions on how the venture asset class will change in the, in the next decade perhaps um, you know sparked by how the LP ecosystem could influence it or
1: I mean I, I think one way that we've seen things change so we've seen people who want to have more control over their destiny start really small funds to yeah. get more uh, more of a better economics on their end uh, so you've, you've seen this fragmentation Uh, And like I said, that kind of plays into massive LPs not being able to write checks. So things that kind of play on smaller venture funds, proliferating. That's kind of interesting. Uh, Like I don't think LPs will go direct super early. You'll see it more in growth probably. Uh, Yeah, those are probably the two things. I mean, I try not to make too many crazy predictions because it'll be wrong. Totally. Like,
0: Do you think um, the SoftBank, let's go back to SoftBank. Are there any bets that you looked at SoftBank made and you said, hey, this makes no sense or I, I wouldn't make like, you know, maybe we work easy in retrospect to, 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 shit on, but yeah. You, yeah. Like what do you, and then Ben Thompson has both neither new nor like, how do you think about these sort of businesses that are not exactly tech businesses? You know um, your partner mm-hmm. is in real estate, obviously at Gelt. Yeah. How do you, how do you think about we work yeah, I mean, or some of these best things like have
1: made? Yeah. Honestly. I mean, I think Uber, we work, they are tech businesses. Like you think, so kind of getting into, we work a little bit, they are, aren't, they are. I mean, yep. they're using technology. So the way WeWork works, you the way real estate works, you have fixed costs, you lock them in forever. You also have corresponding revenue that comes in that you lock in for a long time and you get like ten percent margins or whatever. We work comes in and maybe goes a little bit above market on the expenses, but it's just like, hey, we're gonna slice up this revenue and we're gonna increase the revenue we can generate on this property by like forty percent. Obviously you can say, Okay, but the revenue can leave really fast. So WeWork's expertise has to be leasing up and like acquiring customers and users like be in their property and that's not in the dna of a real estate firm like real estate's extremely fragmented it's old school these people just sign 20-year leases like super late not i don't want to say some of them are just yeah. aren't as as uh high performance yeah. efficient as we work is so we work's expertise is they can just make more revenue on the same piece of real estate as any other real estate investor could and they can only do that because of their dna of acquiring customers really fast and that's leasing up new properties it's like using their brand and ethos like suck people in it's like acquiring ads like yeah. real estate a real estate manager like a guy who just owns some real estate in new york or like a, you know the yeah. royal saudi royal family like owns some real estate around like they don't know how to do that yeah. and they
0: won't do that so we work at eight billion are you long or short
1: uh well let's say so masa has known everything going on inside we work and known the numbers for a while and he's been trying to get majority control for a while like he tried to get majority control when that deal kind of fell through last yeah. year it was a lot of it was just secondary and them buying people out but they couldn't convince their lps to let them do it and now he gets the whole thing at 7 billion and probably got really good terms so uh, yeah i don't know i'd rather own it now than a oh, whole, right. like a year ago for sure yeah, um, yeah i think that we were well it, the product is great i mean person using real estate you don't have to worry about all the. St- other things yeah, and operational complexities. Yeah, you can just be like, I'm just going to be a VC and run my firm or I'm going to be a founder and just run my my company that's related to, you know, ag tech or my company or yeah. it's like a social commerce startup or yep. whatever. Like I don't have to worry about real estate. It's just, it, it saves you so much time and you pay a little bit more, but it's probably worth it. Yeah. I, like I'd really be curious how much business value has been created yeah. from WeWork. Like how totally. many of these, how many businesses, $1 billion right. dollar businesses, like, we been We're both, founded yeah. and are probably still in WeWork
0: I, yeah. I don't know it'd be really interesting to see if anybody totally. WeWork as in. a platform in some sense how, <laughs> how do you um, who do you rather be long term WeWork or Uber because the thing I'm curious Uber, I'm curious why um, Google that has like why the sort of ride sharing wasn't you know started by or why Google doesn't have the advantage or Apple in terms of like the maps as the first place that you go and then get a ride from there like why it's a separate, separate app and long term whether that's sustainable how do you think about that
1: Yeah, I think the secret, like we work secret sauce through DNA is just hyper-efficiently matching things up to be picked up and moved around really quickly, and they have tons of liquidity in that marketplace they've created, and that's a certain DNA that, and and their business model, the Google Maps business model is about showing ads on the map, Um, taking a trip and writing things around is a little bit different. Um, Google's an advertising company uber is a transportation company yeah. Uh, so yeah i really think of uber's core dna is just moving things around i think dara said he said you know we're the aws for transportation so not only on the consumer side you know unbundling the car i don't need to own a car i can take mobility, i can take an uber whatever i can take uber helicopter whenever that comes probably plane soon like there, yeah. there's tons of nothing can do but even on the enterprise side like uber freight it's hyper efficient bringing things back and forth even last mile delivery like uber eats is really just the last mile logistics network for restaurants but you're seeing all these last mile or all of these food delivery companies use their last mile chops to get into other lines of business uh, especially in india and in latin america they're starting to deliver medicine and drugs yeah. they're starting to deliver uh, i don't know like like clothing things you buy online that kind of stuff it's kind of like amazon right. so you think of how like retailing. So Walmart's big competitive advantage was logistics. Amazon's big competitive advantage was logistics. Like what's stopping Uber from becoming a e-commerce company that just like sells things like dark kitchens, dark groceries, dark commerce. I mean, or or empowering that for other people. Like it's just, you use the Uber API and it's just like, I'm gonna get things delivered with the Uber API. Postmates is already doing that. I think Uber experimented with it, with Uber rush. Like if you already have the drivers on your network, you know people are leaving. They're not getting paid enough. What like whatever people want to complain about Uber and how they treat yeah. their drivers, giving them more to do, giving them more jobs. Like hey, right. you can drive people around. You can deliver groceries. You can deliver furniture. You can deliver clothing, like from a tailor. I don't know. Yeah. Just, I mean Uber is kind of a staffing network. You press yeah. a button and you get a job. So helping people just do more with that uh, is interesting. So I think yeah, the, the Uber just has a lot going on. And if you also take what Uber's valued at, when you look at Yahoo Finance, it says it's like $40 billion today or yeah. something, I haven't checked. But there's also some cash on the balance You Take out the cash, they have a bunch of losses, so they have some like tax loss carry yeah. forwards. It's probably worth something, like a billion dollars at this point. You also say that they own a certain percentage of Grab, they own a certain percentage of Yandex Taxi in Russia, yep. own a certain percentage of, don't they own part of Kareem in the Middle East? they own and they own part of diddy too in china so they literally own a piece like every single ride hearing business around the world you basically give them credit for that and like back those out of uber's value that you see that's trading for it's trading for like i don't know 20 or 30 billion dollars like that just seems really really low for what they're doing they're trading it like when you really back all that out they're trading it like two times revenue and you you need to make adjustments on the accounting side for uh how you treat certain costs like whether they're like where in the income statement yeah. and when looking at cash flow where they actually fall uh but i think uber is more of a tech company and we work more of a tech company than people give them credit right. for and they shouldn't be trading at that low yeah. of a
0: what's the right framework for determining which something should be trading at like 2x versus 5x versus 10x versus yeah it's
1: kind of a it's a function of how fast the revenue is growing and how it's really a function of how fast your free cash flow is growing so You really want to value business based on their cash flow, not on their revenue. But the reason people value on revenue is because there's no cash flow yet, Mm -hmm. Uh, but you assume that the the cash flow is going to come. I mean,
0: And for the audience that may not be super financial, explain the difference between cash flow and revenue here.
1: So revenue is your sales, just the amount you collect at the end of the day from your customers that comes in. Cash flow is the amount of money that hits your bank account at the end of the year, like the increase of total cash that you have available to deploy and do things with. So, you know, you can have revenue that comes in, you pay server bills to Google or Amazon, you pay all your marketing expenses, you pay salaries, you're paying your WeWork bill. At the end of the day, you know, your bank account increased $5 for every, you know, your bank account increased $25 for every $100 of revenue that you're running. That's pretty good. You you have a 25% cash flow margin, free cash flow margin, which is, that's... I mean that's impressive. Traditional non-tech businesses, it's not that high. And that's why we see tech companies trade at a higher multiple of their revenue is because you see something like Facebook at scale. Facebook is probably like a great product. You all their costs are fixed. Each additional scroll yeah. that you make in the feed, yeah. like all the like all the advertisers are just on auto pay. So it's literally if you can just convince people to spend more time yeah. scrolling, it's just it's literally like 99% margins yeah. for Facebook so I mean that's why these companies trade at totally. such high multiples
0: and and you you mentioned that um, because you come from the LP side you think all product and business decisions ultimately come down to generating cash flow
1: yeah really that's that's how I think about it and you know you can think of product is like oh how how will the user use this how will it convert something to sales quicker like how like how will you increase your sales efficiency how will someone fall in love with the product how will you keep them coming back? Creating network effects, like really, all that stuff just comes down to generating sales and generating cash flow. And every business is value in cash flow. So uh, that's just kind of how I approach investing: is I just think of like how does this impact cash flow? Yeah. Sometimes that's really hard because it's like, oh, it's a startup. There's like three employees. Like yeah. they have like a little, they have a couple customers, but you know, you have to think about what will this look like in ten years? And totally could the founder take it there? Does the founder know what way to go? Um, how the market react to the product like there's so many different ways and I mean it's, totally. like, it's impossible to get it right but yeah. that's kind of my framework that I use totally. Um, which I think is helpful and
0: and one thing you've thought a about, much about is micro mobility. we're talking about transportation how do you think yeah. about the winners there as it relates to Uber as it relates to and I think and that's one question the other question is sort of the question is is Uber a wedge and you tweeted the other day is Rappi a wedge in, Rappi in Latin America um, into something bigger and I think the, the challenge that's the bull case the bear case is Maybe, you know, Amazon, Apple, or Google have a wedge into their business. Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. You know, um, and how do you think about that? Those few things.
1: Yeah. Uh, so in terms of like bundling, you can think about that. So like Amazon Prime, you just pay for Amazon Prime. And you just buy everything from Amazon. Yep. It's just like a psyche thing. Uber is like an example. You get rewards and you're getting, in some cases, they're introducing like this Uber Pass where you pay Uber 25 bucks a month. You get free micro-mobility rides. You get... Cheaper rides, you get cheaper food. Uh, eventually, it'll inco- include other things like financial services, buying insurance. Uh, I don't know which products are actually gonna work, but it's kind of like Amazon where they'll give like, hey, free video streaming if you have Amazon Prime. Like Uber could, who knows, maybe Uber offers like a streaming service, like, hey, free Netflix or Uber Flix if you pay for Uber Prime. Uh, I don't know if all those things that they'll do, uh, but there's ways you can definitely bundle it. I mean, a lot of people have heard that kind of like meme, like you, you, everything's about bundling yeah. or unbundling and rebundling. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like the car is getting unbundled, but Uber's rebundling things in a different way and repackaging it. Um, and I think it's important for them in terms of getting cash flow. Like you have these captive users, they're riding using your app every day, they're eating food using your app every day. What other, Like you've got them coming back, some people, two to 10 times a day. Yeah. How do you take advantage of that as a company? Right. If you have a captive audience, what else can you do to increase your cash flow? What kind of product decisions can you make?
0: And real quick, what's the framework for determining whether uh, Uber will be used as a wedge into Amazon's business or Amazon will be used as a wedge into Uber's business? Like, how do you, how does one determine who's more likely to, or or even if you took different companies, but the example of a wedge into something versus wedge into the other thing?
1: Yeah, I think that's what startups are all about, just creating a wedge into a massive market. Yeah. So I just think strategically in thinking about the value that you create for customers that you're capturing and kind of the value chain of an industry, how important is the piece that you're getting? Uh, so
0: how important, how defensible, how,
1: yeah, yeah. And there's no right answer for that. I mean, it's super contextual and something that worked for one company could not work for the other, but I think it's just about critically thinking through and just like talking to people that are way smarter than you. Like that's pretty much my strategy for learning about things. I just like talk about, talk yeah. with and read from people that know more than me and are totally. smarter than me uh, totally. so that's that's kind of how i approach it uh and i don't think it's right or wrong way to do it it's in totally. its heart that's why so yeah. many startups fail and why some startups are worth tens yeah. of billions of dollars totally. because no one really knows
0: yeah who wins in mobility, or how, how do you think about that that how that space evolves
1: yeah uh, i mean i think it will probably remain rel- like sort of so i guess the way i think about it is
0: is it winner take all you know how does uber get in that space
1: yeah I mean it's super regulated so you get you have to compete at the local level which is really hard to scale Uh, you've got companies like Bird that are basically outsourcing that they're like the Bird platform where they've got entrepreneurs that basically run a little mini business on using all Bird's resources Um, you've got someone like Uber who can just say hey we'll give you free scooter rides but also buy food from us and use our car use our ride hailing Uh, and then like you've got lime is more of like you can use bikes and car or and scooters and they've talked about introducing little like two-seater pod things eventually yeah. there's so many different ways to, that people are kind of attacking the problem and there's tons of startups that are sort of trying to do different takes on it uh so i don't know i mean it's just super it's a very operationally complex business that you can't just copy and paste some code and just hope it works you yeah. have to hire people who are experts boots on the ground um, cities want to regulate these things. They probably overregulated them.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so I think every maybe we'll see like cities. Someone has a monopoly in a city, or we'll see some cities where like there's multiple players. But I don't think we'll see. We'll, we probably won't see like Uber, where just it's literally just Uber and, yeah. and Lyft. Probably a little more fragmented. Maybe the margins are lower. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know.
0: And is is uh, but is is self driving cars winner take all over time?
1: I I'm. I'm just betting self-driving cars never happen because they've been like three years away for like a decade. Yeah. I'm, I make no, none of my uh, investments that I'm making or like the way I'm thinking about the world is uh, assuming that we'll get self-driving yeah. cars. I know it'll happen. Right. I, I may be more bet of if self-driving cars happen, who has the distribution? Like Uber already has, you know, 100 million yeah. people using RideHail. I don't know what the number is, but could Uber, you know, just roll out the fleet and start saving money or is it? More play to Waymo and Tesla. Honestly, I don't know. Right. Uh, you know, I guess we'll probably see autonomous in the enterprise side, like right. uh, in trucking, maybe like yeah. teleops we'll and first. What
0: about ride sharing? Do, do you think Uber and Lyft autonomous? continue to? Uh...
1: I mean, I think it's profitable business. They're, they're yeah. just scaling really quickly, uh, and they, they're the core the core product works. It's just they've been growing really fast. Like that's something you, you know. Going back to our WeWork conversation, if you read through all WeWork stuff. Something like at the time they went, they filed the S1, I think they had 522 locations and they had this little graphic that showed 10% 10 of the locations were mature and 90% of the locations were under construction, just finished, leasing up at like 20% occupancy, 50% occupancy. So you have like 10% of your product is generating like significant revenue, like at scale and 90%, there's tons of expenses and there's no revenue coming in Right, Um, and you... You look at something like Uber, Uber Eats went from zero to 600 locations in like two years and just jacked up all the financial statements. Yeah. Like you can't tell looking at the macro, no differentiation between the two. You can kind of drill down and like see, they kind of break out how they're giving incentives to, to drivers, to yeah. drive and riders. It's like pretty competitive. Um, you know, there'll be some shake out a little bit but I, it, it's it's a business like it, yeah. it works there's a reason that they raise so much money and that everyone tried to compete because there was it was right there's money to be made
0: i've heard you know this right sharing is one example but i've heard the critique of sort of peter thiel's monopoly thesis basically be that most industries don't end up having monopolies they end up having like oligopolies or or you know three or four major players in the space it's interesting too yeah I mean, you just get it like yes. that's what
1: we're kind of seeing with something like google like yeah. amazon like facebook there's the perception of it's monopoly. You know, it's great for a talking point if you're running for office because right. people—it's a super complex thing. If yeah. people don't understand, it was a great talking point. Right. You know, you can just throw out some stats and just yeah. like, oh yeah, Amazon. We hate Amazon. Like, vote for me. Yeah. That's all it comes down to. Or we hate Amazon. Read our article because we need ad yeah. revenue. Like, yeah. click on our thing and totally. everyone's scrolling the feed. Nobody's clicking the article. So yeah. let's say some <laughs> crazy stuff to get people to click yeah. and and get totally. our revenue back up. Totally. I mean, yeah, it's uh, I don't know
0: let's shift a little bit to consumer social okay so uh i want to hear where where you're really excited about consumer social right now like what you tweeted about this about this a bunch of people responded and you're thinking about it you you i know you think or you've gone deep on tiktok you've gone deep on snap is we'll get into those but is there anything new that you're seeing right now or want to be seeing have a request for startups and social. like what's really exciting to you about consumer social right now
1: yeah i think the exciting thing about consumer social is just the best ideas come out of nowhere and yeah. no one's Thinking about them, yeah. I mean, like you look at Snapchat; it's like send a picture instead of a text, and it disappears. Like, what the heck? Who would want that? But people did, and it ended up being really convenient because you know a picture says a thousand words. You know, you can I can send someone a snap of us right now, and they're like, oh shoot, like I know exactly what he's doing. Versus if I want to tell someone texting now, it's like you know I'm here. I'm at a work I'm with Eric recording a podcast. You know, here's all the stuff that's going on. It's like it's so much quicker, and more efficient, and it's something that just kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, I mean, I think you have to think about your business model, like, am I going to sell ads? Am I going to do subscription? That kind of ties into if you do anonymous, if you do group chats, if you're doing like a broadcast thing. One of the things I think is really interesting right now about consumer social, it's not really social, but like TikTok, it's not a social product. There's no friend graph. It's It's like a content graph. And when you really think about what Facebook and Instagram has become for a lot of people who are early adopters of social products... It's just a content consumption broadcast mechanism. You, know, you open Instagram and see sort of what some of your friends are doing, but there's also tons of influencers you're following, brands. You know, you're getting news, It's kind of like Twitter. A lot of yeah. people, most the average person uses Twitter just for news. So there's not really even a social graph here. The social graph is just interesting because it's a way to basically bring other people back in the app, yeah. like send them a notification, ping them, get them to open it up, fall back in the feed and read some stuff and and sell some ads so it just depends on your business model and kind of how you approach that uh, you know i think there's people doing interesting things in like snapchat is doing really interesting things in ar and mapping yes. their kind of thing is you know we're going to be computing overlaid over the world we've kind of seen how that's played out i think they did a projected to do about a billion of their revenue is from ar lenses wow and that's like legitimate the revenue comes from augmented reality like, Pokemon Go is AR, and they're doing a lot of revenue. It's, like, sponsored locations, Yeah, which is kind of like Google Maps. Like, you're buying ads tied down to a place in the real world, but it's not, like, a graphic that's overlaid over your screen, right. which is what Snapchat has done. It's, it's pretty incredible they created this business model around something that didn't exist yet. Yeah, So that's where I think the truly transformational social companies will come from doing something that's just totally unique no one's done yet hq trivia really interesting example just it's a classic component from tv like a game show but everyone can participate yeah and it was fascinating it took the world by storm i mean they had concurrently like over a million people watching and playing like that's amazing and there's going to be other products that come out of nowhere that you know, there's just like a really special thing, and you can kind of tell when you play with it. It's like, wow, yeah. this is just new and unique. Totally, and they just keep happening. Yeah, and, you know, Yolo, perfect example. Literally came out of nowhere. It's, a, it's like anonymous questions. It's like, yeah. why does would anyone want to do this? But it's like dominating the app store.
0: Right. Well, they they keep coming. The question is, what's their staying power? Right. Yep. Your Peer, Meerkat and um, Periscope, but also House Party, and then you know, HQ Trivia. What, what's you know, what's its staying power? And then like even Yolo TBD, but the your snap has... you're bullish on snap. Yeah, um, I'm incredibly. You bullish You put your on snap, IRA in yeah. snap. You you think that <laughs> my whole IRA in yeah, snap. Right you now. think that uh, the camera first uh, is really powerful, and you think that snap maybe even has a better business model than Facebook or a, a rival or a business a business model that rivals Facebook. Talk yeah. about the why you're so bullish on snap. with the bull cases, is, right?
1: Yeah. So I think if you step back and you look at snap, how it works, you know the the product is you everyone talks about how group chats are great for engagement in social because you send a message and ten people see it yep. and probably nine or ten people open your app and get back in the experience but group chats have kind of a negative connotation like I won't check it for a while I'll just check it in like a day or maybe I just don't even pay attention to my group chats anymore because it's so noisy snapchat is the same thing you take a picture you send it to someone but you also send it to like ten other people and for everyone who receives it it's a one-on-one message right so they're more likely to open it open the app and do the same thing and send it to other people so you've kind of got this proliferating network effect that compounds on itself which is like people sending messages and that's why they survive the instagram onslaught because a lot of people just use snapchat as a broadcast tool you know seeing stories from influencers celebrities you know justin khan yeah. talking on snapchat stories yeah like vcs use it yeah but and yeah and like Instagram that's what you use Instagram for and that's why stories work so well was because you opened it up you just saw content from yeah. interesting things and they play stories right at the top of the feed yep so you're gonna see it and you're gonna click on it and if you're a celebrity you have they had tens of millions of followers on yeah. Instagram instant distribution I mean in- distribution to some extent like in Trump product depending right. on the scale of everything yeah. and how good the product is and Snapchat just, like didn't really care about celebrities because they knew that their core focus was on friends, one to one, making people feel special, um, communicating with people that were really close to you. Versus, yep. you know, watching Kylie Jenner, whatever she's yep. doing, um, you know, watching your favorite athlete. Yep. And we're seeing now, TikTok is just provided, you could say, a better consumption yeah. vehicle than Instagram, because on Instagram, you you only you see things that basically you follow and you've chosen to follow. So Instagram can't just go, Oh, you should really check out this thing that Eric Torenberg posted. Yeah. Cause it's great. It's like really funny sketch that you just had a funny video or like a great podcast mm-hmm. video is a clip from it. But Instagram can't show you that in the feed cause it relies on what you follow. Whereas yeah. TikTok is just like, we do not care who you are, who you're friends with, what your friends do. It's just, we know you'll like this. We're right. Just show so it like you. YouTube, just like back to back. Yeah. Just like YouTube. Yeah. So I think Facebook is kind of hampered by having to rely on this friend thing and who you follow. And it's still a great product, yeah. but they just haven't been able to compete with TikTok. And yeah. they're tied down to the feed. like That's where most of their revenue comes from. And you're seeing, they've been trying to transition to stories, full screen video, which is right. literally TikTok, just full screen video. They've had trouble making the transition because they have to get advertisers ramped up and start yeah. buying stories ads. So they've been hampered by being relied on the feed. They have like feed that. Basically. Yeah, On both interesting. Facebook, because Instagram was a great acquisition. All the stuff on the user side, whatever, yeah. But they literally just copy and pasted the code from the Facebook feed and just put it in Instagram. It right. took them, I think, like a couple weeks. Like, it took an enge- team of engineers like a month wow. to get it up and running because it's literally the same product, yeah. And you're tapping into the existing advertiser network, so users are big, but you also need advertisers, and that's totally where more Snap struggled. They have to get all the advertisers on board, so does TikTok, yeah. So, time ty- like kind of getting into this then now, too, with TikTok. All this crazy marketing spam we're seeing them doing, like yeah, it's about acquiring users. It's all about just acquiring hype and like getting marketers interested in trying it out. Yeah. Because we've seen with Facebook, their hype strategy was, "Hey, person who runs ads in the U.S., we have 2.8 billion users around the world. Come advertising our product." Right. And some marketers will think, "Oh, wow, I can reach 2.8 billion customers on Facebook." No, you can't. You can reach probably like your customers are probably all in the U.S., they're all in the UK, they're all in Australia. All the users that you're never gonna reach in places in Africa, the Middle yeah. East, like most people aren't trying to reach customers there. But great marketing tactic because as an advertiser, you're like, oh, oh, two point eight billion people, like this is the best way to right. advertise.
0: The and TikTok is kind of crazy. I mean, because it's like it's what Vine should have been or could have yeah, been. Yeah, it really is. But it's crazy that you know Facebook, Instagram, Snap, Twitter, YouTube. I don't know, all the existing social Even snap Like yeah, snap hasn't copied di- it. Yeah, didn't figure it out or yeah. didn't do it first.
1: It's because it's just a different UI. Like it's an yeah. entirely different experience. Even YouTube has, has had trouble. Like if in YouTube has try to do stories, like they yeah. can't. It's long form video. So TikTok, it's short form, bite-sized video. And I think we'll see them go from I mean we've kind of already seen it. They started with just dancing, lip syncing, yeah. they've started layering in comedy, how-tos. Yeah. They'll start layering in other forms of content, get a little bit longer. Now they've announced a music streaming thing, which has been in the pipeline for a while. Wow. But literally, with TikTok, we use it as they're like TikTok is basically just memes, like video yeah. memes, and that's huge for most people under a certain yeah. age. Like, Does it eclipse
0: YouTube or start to get in like? If I
1: would have to bet on someone beating YouTube, like the like yeah. the next YouTube, it would probably be TikTok yeah. because it like YouTube is the same thing; it just shows you videos you want yep. to see. But they're all horizontal by default. Yeah. They're all long form, yeah. whereas TikTok is like, if that video isn't good, you just scroll, yeah. watch the next one, and you, totally, and you find out in 15 seconds what it was, and you just watch the next one. And yeah. they'll start layering on other things, and they have to, and they, I think they're gonna try to become YouTube. Yeah. And that's why we've seen you, Google try to acquire, talked about acquiring Firework, which yeah. is like a TikTok competitor. Facebook is trying to launch a TikTok competitor. Yeah. So. Like, it's a really interesting UI that just, it's kind of like the feed is different, stories is different. Yeah. Uh, video, a video first UI is just a different DNA totally. for the company.
0: If we're here a decade from now, back on another podcast, <laughs> we'll do one sooner, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, and we're talking, we're sort of reflecting on how the consumer social landscape has changed. Yeah. What, what do we think happened? Yeah. Is there anyone we're bearish on of, of the big players? Is there anyone that, you know, we think Snap is going to replace Facebook's status or something? Like, what's, what sort of a, how do we think things could shake up?
1: Yeah, I think the most used social product is Bitmoji. Wow. That's, that's my call. Yeah.
0: So Say more about that. Why?
1: Yeah. I mean, if you really think about Bitmoji, it's, it's, it's kind of like a digital representation of yourself. And that's what everybody's kind of, that's what, what a lot of consumer social is. It's about, digitally especially when you're targeting younger folks like yeah. the digital version of yourself just through a feed yeah a picture, i do
0: see digital like, avatar startups is that what you're talking about but bitmoji being the incumbent there and yeah, likely bitmoji, winning? like yeah. so
1: with the snapchat redesign they they ruined the app you know two percent of the users left but with the redesign they rolled out bitmoji across the entire app and if you check the app store downloads from right around the redesign it was the number one most downloaded app in, wow. in the u.s all these big markets for like three weeks because literally every single Snapchat user downloaded Bitmoji because they made it uncool if you didn't have a Bitmoji. So everyone got one. Yeah. And Bitmoji is basically it's like a decentralized social network. That's how I see Bitmoji because it's a backdoor into all these other apps via the keyboard. You know, you can use your Bitmoji in Facebook Messenger and wow. on in Twitter. Like I post like my Bitmoji yeah. like pictures into my Twitter feed sometimes to respond to people. Uh, but then you've got Snapkit, which is basically Snap's developer platform. And they're kind of like, hey, you're creating a social app. Uh, you know, YOLO, use it. It's anonymous questions like, hey, make it make your conversion rates higher on new users because they don't have to upload a avatar. They don't have, they probably don't have a Facebook profile. We're not gonna collect any data in a negative way. We're just gonna say, hey, their avatar can be their bitmoji. It's an yeah. it's anonymous avatar, like a digital avatar which other people are trying to create. And Snap is letting them have that be a component, uh, so yeah, I don't know. That's my my de- decade from wow. here. year. I mean, I, who knows if Snapchat's still around? Who knows if Instagram's still around? I think Bitmoji, everyone's gonna have one. It's a perfect le- uh, leeway into AR social, into VR yeah. social. But Snap owns Bitmoji, right? Yeah, they own Bitmoji. So
0: Snap is a co- if if the product is you I mean the product won't be around, but if Bitmoji's big, Snap the company will have done very well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think eventually, like the Snapchat app will. It will be different in 10 years. It might be all in our glasses. Who knows? And that's the thing like AR glasses, everyone's been talking about them. We'll get there eventually. Who knows when it happens? But Snap is basically laying the foundations for building an AR ecosystem and like a developer ecosystem of like AR lenses are basically just AR apps. So Snap's just waiting
0: for the next platform.
1: Yeah, Snap is getting ready for the next platform. And whether they take an Android approach where they're like, hey, use our Snap OS to power your glasses or whether they take an Apple approach where they say we're going to own the hardware and we're going to own the whole yeah. like wall garden software. I don't know. I don't know what they'll do. They'll or for a Twitter
0: conversation, do they take the Apple approach that they make superior products and they uh, or do they take a WeChat approach and layer all different types of, you know, financial products, insurance, you know, other things that they're cross-selling to yeah, Gen Z? Gen-
1: I, I, I don't see Snap doing that. It, maybe because it's if, not their DNA. Maybe if there's like a different CEO yeah evan's gone like totally changed the dna but i think the whole dna of the company is just your friends i mean i think that's really it's a defensible product like we've seen facebook should have crushed they should have destroyed snap like that's and everyone thought that like snapchat's done like even if you look at their financials their hosting costs went up after the redesign and why did your hosting costs come up because people use your product more yeah so even though like a couple of users kind of dropped off like the core people who are power snapchat users who use it for everything which is they're not leaving yeah they're there forever and when snap rolls out glasses who's gonna be the first person to buy cool ar glasses it'll probably like tech nerds like you and me yeah sure but grandma's not gonna buy it like our dads won't buy it it will be the 16 year old kid who kind of uses it for gaming for social that's literally what Snapchat's for yeah we've seen them launch their gaming product like they're just building so many components of this next platform and they're building tools for other people to build companies on Snapchat and SnapKit. You know, you're seeing they they have AdKit where you can generate revenue from Facebook's average or from Snapchat's advertising network. Yep. You're seeing you can um, use SnapKit to acquire users faster and grow your business faster, like Yolo, like it exploded. They have, I think, the they have like I don't even know what the number is. It's like 11 or 19 of the top hundred apps on the App Store have SnapKit integrated. It's wow. so like they're they already have their they're tentacles kind of everywhere. And tentacles is like a negative word, yeah. but like they're, you mean like, a possibly Yeah. Yeah. And the bitmoji is just, it's such a powerful thing. It's, it's kind of taking what Snapchat has done and just digitizing, animating it. And, you know, yeah. it's kind of, it's kind of like the login with Facebook. You know, it's your profile picture for the digital world.
0: Totally. So. My guest today has been a uh, Turner Novak. Turner. It's, it's been awesome uh, having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Please hit us up at villageglobal.vc networkcatalyst network catalyst.